Jaguar Enthusiasts Club podcast. On this week's episode, an incredible XJR economy challenge and a review of the opening round of the JEC Race Championship. JECpodcast.com Hello and welcome to another Jaguar Enthusiast Club podcast. Wayne Scott, very pleased to be here with you. I hope you're keeping well. And last weekend was the opening round of the Jaguar Enthusiast Club Race Championship. And the opening round went to the amazing circuit of Silverstone. And commentating on that race was Dave Goddard, who joins me now. Hiya, Dave. Good afternoon. It must have been good for you to get back in the commentary booth. Yes, it was a massive relief. It was the first commentary I'd done for quite a few months with everything going on. But it was... uh, Wonderful to be behind the microphone once again. Some brilliant action in every race. Very busy program at Silverstone. And great to see uh, huge grids, record grids in uh, several of the classes. Absolutely. Because we were worried, of course, during the pandemic of last year, that this was going to have a huge impact on the size of grids for the 2021 season. It looks like those worries were, well, not needed at all, really. If anything, I would say it's had the opposite effect because everybody's so desperate to get out again. They are just so eager to race. We've had um, record grids in uh, the classic touring cars, I know, over the weekend. And uh, great to see an upturn in Jaguar grids as well. Absolutely. Well, set the scene for us then. This was part of the overall BARC meeting at Silverstone. So for those who perhaps have not been to a round of the BARC racing before, because it's our first time as the Jaguar Enthusiast Club racing with these guys, set the scene for how the weekend pans out and what other races are on offer as well. Well, the uh, Jaguars, as far as I understand it, are racing with the classic touring car racing club this year. At uh, Silverstone, they ran combined with the pre-83 touring cars, which had a great variety of cars on their grid. The Jaguars ran in a combined grid and qualifying session. The Jaguars started off the front, the pre-83 touring cars behind them, and um, the quicker touring cars did overlap with the Jags as the race went on. But I believe um, the JEC Saloon and GT Championship took uh, around the top seven places in each race. Well, there was a a fantastic battle in the top three, wasn't there? Our very own Tom Robinson in his XJR6, he had gone through all sorts of preparation work on that car in readiness for Silverstone. And he said on last week's podcast that his nearest rival, James Ram, would be nipping at his heels. And that turned out to be the case, didn't it? It certainly was the case on every lap of the weekend. Uh, Tom Robinson, I have to say, is an awesome sounding XJR6 more than anything, had the reigning champion right there uh, on his tail. I think there was, uh, yeah, 0.9 of a second in it at the end of race one and uh, even closer, 0.34 of a second at the end of race two. But uh, I think James did get in front um, briefly once or twice, but Tom's car is so quick in a straight line, down the hangar straight, he was able to get the lead back every time. Always close racing within the Jaguar Enthusiast Club Race Championship. Further down the grid, it wasn't short of its battles either, especially amongst those XJSs. Yes, uh, Class C was taken uh, each time by Tom Lenthal. Great to see him uh, on the overall podium. A pair of third places for him as well. Class B, uh, that went to Michael Seaborn on both occasions. He was a bit further back in the overall order in uh, race two. He was fourth overall in race one, seventh in race two. And Class A for the road standard cars was taken each time by Simon Dunford's XJS. Uh, great to see Mike Seaborn doing so well there. We spoke to him on this podcast last year and he'd bought that car for just three and a half grand and had prepared it for racing and great to see him battling so hard for such a budget way into motorsport. Yes, it's great to see uh, Michael doing so well. The lovely Castrol liveried uh, 
XJ40. Uh, others uh, I noticed were the Copoc uh, father and son pairing, Lawrence and Richard, their familiar whites um, XJs. They had a good scrap with some of the touring cars in the midfield. And there was an interloper in a Jaguar from the pre-83 touring cars as well. David Howard's XJ12 managed to get in among the... Uh, Jaguar Saloon and GT Series battle on Sunday in the second on Saturday in the second race as well. Well, it's great to see these cars out. I mean, the XJS has some real pedigree in touring cars, of course, winning the European Championship in the early 1980s, a win that saved the XJS's production, really, and probably in many ways saved Jaguar themselves in the 1980s. But there are some other cars out there that didn't race in period or with works teams and it's great to see working so well as race cars and just an example really of how easy it is to get your Jaguar prepared and out on track within the JC race championship and examples of that as you've mentioned Mike Seaborn's XJ40 but also XK8s as well were to be seen on the grid. Yes we've got a couple of XK8s out there of course a couple of years ago um, if memory serves me right Chris Boone won the championship in his example he wasn't out uh, at the first round. We'll hopefully see him out later this year. And Derek Pierce, who I've seen many on many occasions racing his old Mark II Jaguar with the championship, has now got um, an XK, which I believe is prepared by Tom Lenthal as well. He got a fifth in race one, and um, that was second in class B. He was a bit further down in race two, 17th overall, third in class B, behind Rick Walker's familiar green XJS. It's great, isn't it? It must be a real treat for you as a commentator as well, Dave, to have these cars in front of you and to watch the, the close racing of these enthusiasts as well. It is wonderful to see. I'm sure um, Sir William Lyons and uh, his colleagues didn't uh, envisage the cars being used in this way <laughs> when he first created uh, the XJ6 and so on. One driver who did meet uh, a bit of an unfortunate fate was Matthew Davis, number 50, in his XJR. He stalled on the grid in the first race um, on Saturday, was collected by a couple of other cars and then unfortunately suffered a fire. I think he was uh, leaking fuel and the car caught a light. But the marshals, full credit to the Silverstone marshals, they got the fire out quickly. Hopefully Matthew can uh, rebuild for subsequent rounds. Good mention of Marshall in there because, of course, they are all volunteers around the circuit at Silverstone and actually represents a great way of getting involved in motorsport if you're not quite ready to have the car ready yet. Yes, indeed. Uh, if you want to get closer to the action, join the Orange Army. Just look on the BARC website or look up online for the British Motorsports Marshals Club. There's plenty of posts available. Once uh, restrictions are lifted, then uh, I'm sure the taster days will restart. You can try out uh, as a marshal around the UK at your nearest circuit if you want to get involved. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, do look that up. It's a great way of getting involved with the sport and fantastic camaraderie as well between those marshals. It really is a true motor racing family, as, of course, is the JEC Race Championship up and down the paddock, looking after each other, and no doubt the other competitors will help get that car turned around for the next round. Uh, for you then, Dave, some highlights from the weekend. I know that Tom Robinson, who eventually took the win, pulled off a really stunning overtake at Vale during the weekend, didn't he? What were the other the highlights uh, the other highlights have mentioned the copocks were having uh, a good battle particularly uh, in the second race michael holt had a good running race too he had engine trouble in the first race of the number 11 xj6 he came through well from the back of the jaguar grid to finish in uh, sixth overall and it was all uh, very close I, I enjoyed the overlap between the pre-83 touring cars and the jaguars bringing uh, some variety and i hope we see the uh, mixed grids again another uh, thing i like seeing is some of the tribute liveries on uh, some of the cars i mean uh, we mentioned michael seaborn he's got the castrol livery which um, 
was made famous in IMSA GTP in the, uh, by the Jaguar XJR prototypes in the early 90s. Uh, who else have we got? Rick Walker in the green of the Jaguar Formula One team from a few years ago. One car that wasn't at Silverstone, but I'm looking forward to seeing is Guy Conyu because he's got that awesome replica of um, the Bob Tullius Group 44 Trans Am XJS. I saw that out at Donington last year. That is an absolutely stunning car. Yeah, absolutely. Great to see that livery on track again. Of course, Bob Tullius Group 44, they really pioneered the sort of branding that we take for granted on race cars now. And with the Jaguar team and that uh, uh, sponsorship with the oil company that they ran for so many years, I think 18 years they were with them, Quaker State, uh, they really set the scene for what would be, well, commonplace in motorsport now, that branded green and uh, green and white that you just associate instantly with Group 44. Beautiful looking uh, livery, though. They're, they're all beautiful looking cars, though. It's wonderful to see these uh, big gentlemen's carriages, as one journalist uh, referred to them once out there on track. What I'm keen to know, though, Dave, is obviously there's been a, a real patchiness in the rounds that we had in the 2020 season. Some of the drivers actually didn't get out at all in 2020. Was there any indication out on track last weekend that there was uh, anyone feeling a bit rusty as they took to Silverstone? It uh, certainly didn't look that way to me. Everybody seems to have settled uh, back into the groove fairly quickly and uh, everybody was uh, at their full pace. One or two cars had problems, uh, as we've mentioned. Uh, Michael Holt had engine trouble in the first race, but he got back out for the second race. Simon Lewis uh, was back out in his um, old Series 1. Michael Atkinson was in the X300 that he's raced over the last couple of years. Simon seemed to be uh, struggling a bit but uh, I'm sure he'll have that series one up to pace uh, soon enough. Michael Seaborn had a bit of a problem and dropped back in the second race. Looks like he had a slight oil leak. But uh, other than that, everybody uh, seemed to be uh, back to full pace very quickly. And you'll be our commentator, I understand, for the rest of the season as well. So remind people how they can watch the races online. Well, uh, all you need to do is to look up on YouTube or on Facebook, the British Automobile racing club we will have uh, all our events live streamed now uh, thanks to 247 tv the uh, production team and all their camera crews we will have everything live streamed through the uh, british automobile racing club youtube and facebook pages via barc tv so do uh, log in on there subscribe i will post uh, links on my own social media prior to each event so you uh, know where to watch we got um, i think signed in on youtube watching were about 5,000 viewers for the first event on Saturday at times. Um, but, of course, with people not signed in viewing, the big figures, I'm told by the BARC, were much higher. And we actually got viewers in six figures, I'm told, over the weekend, which is absolutely brilliant for UK Fantastic. national racing. Outside of Jaguar racing, it was almost like a support race, really, for the fantastic Brick Car Series. Uh, that is some phenomenal racing, isn't it? An endurance-based Brick Car Endurance Championship, yes, that they have gone from strength to strength in the last couple of years. They had a, nearly 40 cars out in both the endurance and trophy categories over the weekend. Some uh, celebrity drivers almost as well. Abby Eaton was out there in the Praga Championship. Uh, top sim racer and YouTuber Jimmy Broadbent was out as well, making his uh, Brick Car debut. A lot of uh, his fans were online watching for him. And uh, it felt almost like a mini international GT race. Brickcar has really done such a fabulous job 
with uh, their series. It's great to see. Sadly, the only Jaguar that was scheduled to compete in that, the Jaguar F-Type, that had engine trouble in testing and wasn't able to race. But we'll see that out uh, later in the season, I'm sure. Good to see those uh, guys doing so well, going from strength to strength, as you say. And as for the JEC Race Championship, as we continue on with the season, obviously, first race done with. What stories do you think are emerging? What are the people to watch as we go through the rest of this year? Certainly for overall honours, Class D uh, will be Tom Robinson against James Ram, I'm sure. Uh, one driver we didn't see at Silverstone is Colin Philpott, a regular race winner from over the years. He was on the entry list initially, but didn't uh, compete. So he'll be uh, favourite, I think, for the Class C Championship, along with Tom Lenthal. But um, with the four classes, uh, it can be any one of the four, as we've seen in many championships, that can win the overall title. But I reckon um, Robinson versus Ram is going to be the main story of the season as they fight for overall race wins absolutely and you'll get the scoop on robinson uh, versus ram of course on this very podcast as we continue with tom robinson's motorsport preparation diary a little bit later on where he'll take us behind the scenes of the garages at swallows racing that prepare that car and uh, tell us what he's been up to to prepare for the next round so we'll join you for that next round dave where are we heading next well i believe the next round coming up uh, on may the 31st which uh, i think i believe if i remember rightly is a bank holiday monday Mm -hmm. and uh, that's taking place on the national circuit at donnington and we will have uh, full coverage of that one as well excellent north to derbyshire and we'll join you for it dave goddard of course if you want to keep up to date with all of the racing you can find it online at jc.org.uk also of course we'll keep you up to date on how you can watch the live streams and hear dave's fantastic commentary uh, via the friday spotlight on the weekend before that round in derbyshire at donnington but for now dave goddard thanks for joining us thanks very much indeed Motorsport Heroes with Richard West's Hall of Fame. The post-war era was something of a heyday for British motorsport and whilst the memories of Brooklands and the other pre-war motor racing events had started to fade, there was a new generation of young men, many of whom had served in the war and become war veterans or even war heroes in some instances, who were keen to make their mark on motorsport. It was to create the heyday of the 1950s and British motorsport. And one of the leaders of that heyday and a racer of a Jaguar C-type is the subject of Richard West's Hall of Fame for this episode. Hi, Richard. Hi, Wayne. Apologies for the telephone uh, quality today, but uh, on the road. But yes, Duncan Hamilton, or James Duncan Hamilton, as he was born on this very day, 101 years ago today. And he really was part of that heyday that we now look back on from the 1950s as the dawn of the great days of British motorsport, wasn't he? Well, it was. I mean, by the time he's, you know, almost in his 20s, he was already uh, a Second World War veteran, and uh, he was a fascinating character. There is mountains and mountains of stuff about him. I mean, I think his first recorded incident, or shall we say accident, was at the age of two when somebody forgot to put the brake on his pram and he careered down 38 steps and knocked himself out as he was catapulted out of the pram. And a few years after that, he managed to drive one of his master's cars straight through a brick wall at the school that he was attending. So he obviously started as he meant to carry on. Straight after the war, in 1948, in fact, Sir William Lyons unveiled a prototype car that he had no intention of putting into production. 
it was really just to showcase his new invention the xk engine that car the xk 120 had a absolutely rapturous reception from the press and he was forced to put it into production and the racing version of the xk 120 designed of course by Malcolm Sayer, made its debut in racing in 1951, 70 years ago, and on its debut at Le Mans, it won straight away. Now in 1952, there was a bit of a change around in the team, and Duncan Hamilton arrived at Jaguar in that point. Unfortunately, he didn't finish that year, but in 1953, he really made a name for himself when he took Jaguar to victory once again. He did indeed. I mean, his victory at the Le Mans 24-hour race alongside Tony Rolt, who in, in his own right, Tony was a fascinating character, the man that went on ultimately to develop the Ferguson four-wheel drive system in one of the Indianapolis cars that went to race in America. But in the 12, in the 24-hour race alongside Tony Rolt, they had the most amazing event, and there are many, many stories that go around that great victory in the C-Type in 1953. Part of the reason why this era of motorsport is so revered as we look back from a historical point of view, was really the danger that these drivers faced, wasn't it? And the way that they approached that danger. I mean, those guys racing at Le Mans in those days were absolute heroes, and they honestly didn't know whether they were going to come back from each race alive or not, frankly. And they were a generation that had served in the Second World War, and Duncan Hamilton himself had an amazing story of his service during World War II, didn't he? Oh, there were many. I mean, he was part of the fleet air arm and he was also involved in flying aircraft like uh, the Lysander, which was a, a stall, a short takeoff and landing aircraft, which flew many uh, missions in and out of occupied France during the war. And it, he really was one of those individuals. And I think if you look back at his era, Tony, Tony was an interesting character as well. Tony Rolt, just going back to him, he was a prisoner of war and they moved him through seven prisoner of war camps during the Second World War. And in the end, because he continued to escape or tried to escape, but one particular um, famous occasion, Tony got within literally yards of the Swiss border before he was arrested. Uh, they actually put Tony in Colditz and um, he felt it was his duty to escape, as did many of those men. So when you look at that era of Duncan and Tony and others like them, I think they came out of the Second World War you know, completely charged up with a new sense of freedom and a sense of bravery because they've been through some pretty scary things, terrifying things in their lives. And I don't think that racing cars, it really dawned on them just quite how dangerous it was. It was just a fantastic experience, which they all enjoyed immensely. Well, if you look back at the 1953 race, it's a perfect example of how different attitudes were to racing then and you just can't imagine Lewis Hamilton doing something like this but effectively the story goes that lofty England found Tony Rolt and Duncan <laughs> Hamilton well they were drunk basically uh, in a bar pretty much the day before they were due to race at Le Mans and uh uh, there's a, that famous quote, isn't there, from Lofty England, where he said, uh, I wouldn't have let them race drunk. They were enough trouble when they were sober. Um, this is a true story, isn't it? No, it is a true story. In fact, it came about because they were running a number on the car that was identical to a number being run by another competitor. And uh, they were they were disqualified from the previous day's event, qualifying or practice. I can't remember which. Um, and they went off to a local bar, as you say, and sort of drank far too much. And in the interim period, Lofty had gone on and convinced the Le Mans um, stewards and everybody else that they really should be running. And by the time he found them, they were obviously rip-roaring drunk. And in fact, 
Um, Duncan got in the car and was fed coffee, but at one point it was considered it was a better idea to give him the brandy to stiffen him up for the night race. So <laughs> I think you're absolutely right. I don't think that's the type of thing we see in today's paddocks, that's for sure. If you read the book, uh, which you really must do if you're interested in this era of motorsport, it's written by his son, Adrian Hamilton, actually. And uh, talking about that, that moment when they were trying to sober him up with coffee, uh, Duncan Hamilton said that he started to refuse a coffee because it was making his arms twitch. <laughs> That's right, absolutely, I did read. Do you know what, you, you, there's all these wonderful stories about Duncan, but in reality, Fangio's commented, indeed, he was teammates, Duncan was Fangio's teammate at one point. He, Fangio said he was probably one of the greatest, if not the greatest driver in the wet. And he drove for, a, you know, he, he did five World Championship Grand Prix. He took part in 18 non-championship uh, F1 races. He drove for Maserati, ERA, Talbot Largo. I mean, the guy had the most amazing career, and he was he was frequently having accidents. I mean, another great story when he was towing. Well, he didn't realise at the time he was in his MG, tootling back home, and uh, a Bugatti came up behind him, and uh, he very kindly sort of indicated to the right and moved over to let it go past. But unfortunately, he'd forgotten that he was actually towing it, and as it went past him with no driver still attached to a tow bar. It took out a lamppost and destroyed, you know, half the pavement that the lamppost was attached to. So he really did. He, he lived life absolutely to the full. Um, but he's just one of those amazing guys. I think the thing he survived probably today, if you look back to Felipe Massa's accident in the Ferrari, when that spring came off another car and hit him full face in the crash helmet, um, Duncan was actually hit by a bird strike on the main Mulsanne Strait which actually broke his nose. I mean, during the actual Le Mans 24-hour race, a bird came up, hit him full in the face with an open face helmet on, broke his nose, and he continued. And things like that, you look at that and you think to yourself, in many, many ways, it's lovely to read about it, but thank the Lord, motor racing is so much safer today than it was in that era. Yeah, absolutely. Well, he crashed a Jaguar quite spectacularly as well, which cartwheeled and chucked him into a tree um, at, uh, at one race, I know, and uh, he had a number of other lucky escapes. And I think all mm. of those lucky escapes and, well, near-death experiences probably explain mm. why, by the late 1950s, he decided to retire, hadn't he? And he basically just retired and set up a small garage. Well, he did. He con after retiring in 1959, he concentrated quite heavily on sailing, which he loved, and, and he expanded the car dealership to which you refer which has been run for the last 45 years by son adrian but interestingly i haven't seen adrian for years but i was just looking up some details last night and adrian's continued to business from down in mitchell beaver in hampshire and i think it's a staggering fact and it says very proudly to date they've sold nine ferrari gtos 20 gt40s seven porsche 917s and numerous c-types and d-type jaguars that's not a bad sales record, is it? Amazing. So, a bit of an anniversary in that uh, James Duncan Hamilton, his full name, was born 30th of April, the day this podcast is published in 1920. An interesting anniversary and one to be celebrated, but also a day of anniversaries for you, Richard, because this was the weekend we lost two motor racing greats in Formula One some decades later. It was indeed, and I mean, it's hard to believe that that was 27 years ago on April the 30th, Imola. We sadly lost um, Roland Ratzenberger, who crashed at very high speed in his Simtech. And of course, tomorrow 
is the anniversary of the fatal accident that also claimed uh, my former teammate and friend, three times world champion Ayrton Senna. So it's, it's on that sad occasion, it's lovely to talk about somebody like Duncan, who, despite all of his best efforts in his career, managed to survive and end up having a happy retirement. And indeed, he passed away on the 13th of May 1994 uh, in his then home village town of Sherburn in, in Dorset. So, yeah, a sad weekend in some ways, but uh, also lovely to talk about a great racer from that bygone era which was James Duncan Hamilton. You're listening to the Jaguar Enthusiasts Club podcast. To find out what events you can get along to or to discover local club meets in your region, visit jec.org.uk. Well, on this week's Jaguar Enthusiast Club podcast, we're finding out about an epic adventure and an epic challenge to raise money for charity. What if I told you that you had a Jaguar XJR that needed to double its miles per gallon in order to be successful at this challenge? In fact, it needs to do nearly 33 miles to the gallon. Can it be done? We'll find out whether it can be done and why you'd want to do it with David Jenkin, who joins me now. Hi, David. Hi, Wayne. Um, thank you for a great intro. Um, yeah, uh, uh, I guess a bit of background um, about the challenge. We, myself and Donovan, set up a Jaguar Facebook page, uh, a group for, for us Jaguar enthusiasts to, to get together. One of the key elements that came back from that for us was, you know, can we do more for, for the wider community um, and for various charities? Um, we thought it was a terrific idea, um, so we, we kind of rolled with it. And what started off as a, as a bad joke has turned into this, this challenge. Um, and the, the, essentially the challenge is this. I own a 2007 uh, Jaguar XJR. Uh, it's the 356. It's a 4.2 litre V8 supercharged, and I average 15.4 miles to the gallon in it. And uh, there, there are no lies. That, that is all on the Facebook group. The, I jokingly, very jokingly, suggested that I could drive to um, to Inverness from my house in in Surrey uh, on a single tank of fuel. And um, that idea was was laughed at and laughed down by by several of our members, uh, all in good spirit. And. I, I, I looked at Google Maps, I thought 586 miles, never done that before. I've never got close to that before. But if I drove it very, very carefully, and I had all of the, the you know, everything turned off in the car, could we essentially run a Top Gear Challenge and then put all of the proceeds to Great Ormond Street Hospital, as suggested by my good friend Mark Atkin, Atkinson, who's a, an admin of our group. Um, the backdrop of that also is that Mark Stan Oliver spent three weeks at Great Ormond Street Hospital and um, by all accounts, pretty critical. And the hospital trust paid for Mark and his wife to spend three weeks in the hotel opposite the, the hospital so they could spend as much time with their son as, as was humanly possible. And uh, so we thought, what a great, great charity, great cause, um, epic adventure. Uh, can it be done? Honestly, I don't know. I've, I've been in touch with the Jaguar technical department and I don't think they know either. <laughs> so I've not had a definitive response from them. Um, but well, I'll leave on the 21st of, 21st of May. I plan to set off from the BP garage in Banstead uh, around about 8 o'clock in the evening. And I hope to land in Inverness at maybe you know, 8 o'clock, maybe 9 o'clock the following morning. 
Wow. So what are you going to do to the car then, David? What do we think? Maybe up the tyre pressures, wax it. It's got to be polished to within an inch of its life because it's got to reduce the drag. Is there anything you're actually going to change on the car to try and help it? Okay. Yeah, look, good, great question. Um, yeah, I'm probably up the pressures a little bit um, without being daft. Um, or, you know, I'm going to take the spare wheel out, so I definitely don't want to blow out on the way there. Uh, but no, I'm not taking the rear seats out. I'm leaving the car as is. The, the only thing that's coming out is, is the spare wheel's coming out, the jack's coming out, and the, um, the boot uh, shelf is going to come out. Apart from that, the car is, is unmodified, safe for the stainless steel exhaust. Um, it's, it's currently being serviced, which I'm hoping is going to help me eke out a few more MPG. Um, so no, no, apart from that, no modifications to the car at all. We are hoping that we can, uh, we can get the car wrapped. Uh, or, or maybe some signage on the car because we've got some some corporate sponsors um, as well as private sponsors that have, that have put you know, a lot of money into this. I, I believe that we're already about seven hundred and fifty pounds uh, for for the hospital, and we've only been running this for, for a couple of weeks. So it's a it's a really it's really taken on uh, new wings. Uh, so we've we've got also uh, vehicle revolutions. Uh, Carl Brigante has uh, kindly donated. Um, a aero pack for the XJ 350-358 as oh. uh, a carbon fibre aero pack for us to auction and we hope to run that auction some point next week Excellent. Well, as I sit here and I look at your GoFundMe page, the link for which, by the way, dear listeners, is on the description part of the podcast page. Please do click it and please do donate because as I look at it now, you are just 400 quid off your current goal. And I reckon all of the listeners to this podcast club together, we can easily get you over that goal. And uh, I mean, I think if we get over that goal, you're going to have to extend it further. We can do better than a grand, can't we? I sincerely hope so. Um, you know, the so far the people that's seen it have been extremely generous. Um, if we can get over the thousand pound, I'd, I'd, I'd feel epic about it. I truly would. Well, let's hope as well that the wind is blowing from the southwest on the twenty first of May. Not only because we'll get nice weather, I think, if that happens, but also you'll have a tailwind taking you all the way to Inverness. Because after all, it is uphill all the way, isn't it? <laughs> It is uphill all the way. I did look at the map. It looks uphill. <laughs> it's a surprisingly long journey. It's a journey I've done myself on various rallies, uh, Land's End to John O'Groats type stuff. And you sort of you get to Newcastle, you think, oh, I'm nearly there. But it's a hell of a long way further on to Inverness, isn't it? And that's when it's all going to get very tense because you're going to start to see that needle creeping towards empty. And I'm just thinking how it's going to be, how tense it's going to be in the car when the low-fuel warning light comes on. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm exactly the same. I, I could finish somewhere yeah, it's, you know, just just north of the border, perhaps. Um, it's, it's highly likely. Uh, in the event that I don't quite make it, all I'm going to do is I, I will break down, we'll, we'll put some fuel in it, I will still drive to Inverness. Um, yeah, that is the goal. Uh, we'll see how far I get, how close I get. Uh, we're hoping that we can get the, the whole thing live streamed. Um, that, that looks as if that's a distinct possibility at the moment. So people will be able to log into that and, and see the trip and hopefully monitor where I am um, on, on the journey. 
Fantastic. I've also come up with another plan here as we've been talking, David. How about this? I think the way that you're going to make it is if we reduce the friction of air on the car. And basically, to use the Formula One principle of aerodynamics, what we need is a whole fleet of Jaguars to run with you and to create clean air. So perhaps we can put out an appeal that as well as donating to the GoFundMe page to raise money for the Great Ormond Street Hospital, Perhaps we can get Jaguars along the route to come and join you on your journey to try and help push you along and perhaps create some clean aerodynamic air for you. What do you reckon? Oh, that would be absolutely fantastic. People are, are, are absolutely um, are welcome to come and join me. Uh, I won't be that difficult to find. I'll be the really slow Jaguar driving north. <laughs> yes, everyone looking at an XJR wondering why it's going so slowly. It'll be David conserving fuel. Get your route details then up on that GoFundMe page that we'll link to uh, with the podcast. And then everyone can keep up to date with where you're going. And perhaps you'll see some Jaguar Enthusiast Club members coming out to cheer you along. No, I hope so. So, once you get to Inverness and you've run out of fuel and you're on the side of the road somewhere having a burger, uh, what's the plan then? Just to come home and to count the money, I guess. I, I, I Actually, I'd, I'd probably plan, because I'll be working on the Friday and driving through the evening, so I'd probably plan to find a, a cheap B&B somewhere, <laughs> go have a little shut-eye, and then get back home in a slightly different fashion to that which I arrived in Inverness. David, tell us more about you and your life with Jaguars. How did you end up with this XJR? Have you been passionate about Jaguars all your life? Okay, so I'm 45 this year, so I, I kind of missed the E-type thing. That you know, there were very few of them on the road when I when I was growing up on a, as a boy. My car back then was the was the V12 XJS. I, I didn't think there was a more handsome um, and beautiful looking car on the road. And every time I saw one, I was in absolute awe of it. Sadly, I've never had the chance to, to own one. In fact, I've never sat in one even. Um, maybe maybe that changed soon. Um, but um, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd never thought that perhaps I would be the guy that we could afford to run Jaguars. And how wrong could I be? I fell into a, an X-Type. I say six, maybe seven years ago, little 2.5 all, all-wheel drive manual, and I loved the car. And I picked it up for peanuts. It was a PX that had come into my my dad's garage, and they kindly let me have it for just a couple of hundred pounds. And uh, yeah, absolutely. I, unfortunately, I lost it to rust on the first MOT, but you know it, it served me well, and I I, I really like that. Um, and dad's feeling that he'd let me down because he didn't have a long MOT on it. He thought, you know, you've wasted a bit of money there. Um, he said, I've got another one for you. Would you come down to Bristol and have a look at this? I've, I've, I've already bought it. Uh, okay, what is it? He said, no, I'll just, I'll just show you when, when, when you get it. And I turn up and there's a 2002 4.2 V8 S-Type waiting for me, which I, I thoroughly enjoyed. And I, I rode that car for what, almost three years. Um, again, paid pittance for it. And it was in decent condition, long MOT. Um, it was practically given away. Um, I sold that car. Now, I look back now, regrettably sold that car because I would I'll probably have it back. But, um, yeah, the, the opportunity came up from um, a, a, an acquaintance that I know. I, I coached his son um, football, and he had this beautiful um, Jaguar, 2007 Jaguar XDR. He'd had it from one year old, uh, 6K miles, and it was in absolutely immaculate. And some five years later, um, the car came on the market and I messaged Dennis and said, you know, what exactly do you want for it? And he said, are you interested? I said, I would love to buy your car. And Dennis, not particularly money-minded or money-orientated, he let me have the, 
106k full services for the XDR for just a thousand pounds. Brilliant. Well, this is the thing we love here in the Jaguar Enthusiast Club. It's the fact that our cars can be affordable, and not only that, they're a way of getting into classic car ownership that allows you to use it every day. They're actually practical cars as well. That's the beauty of this, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my servicing costs have been has been great. Uh, I've been very well looked after by by Andrew Spiteri. Um, and you know, I've not really spent too much money on the car. You know, the, but obviously I've had the, the you know the, the dreaded air suspension light, but that turned out to be just one strut, that's, and that's the most money that I've put into the car since I've owned it in 18 months, and it has been my daily driver. It's been used for for everything from ferrying the kids around to, um, believe it or not, a, a delivery car for a local Italian, which raised a few eyebrows when I when I turned up in that, and they were all on scooters. Well, when we look back at the Jaguars of the brand's history, uh, this is a key one, really, in the history of Jaguar because, of course, it was the first car that was the all-aluminium monocoque, a turning point in Jaguar's fortunes, really, in the early 2000s and a very important part of Jaguar's heritage and a great car that you can still enjoy and a car that's very much welcome here in the Jaguar Enthusiast Club. We love them. Any XJ, any Jaguar, frankly, uh, we love here in the club. And uh, it's great to see that you're using it really well to do some really good stuff. And we hope we can uh, support you in that and cheer you along as you raise money for Great Ormond Street Hospital. That aluminium body shell, I reckon, is going to do you well trying to get all of that weight on that small amount of fuel. So uh, uh, we'll put a link, as I say, to the GoFundMe page with the description part of the podcast. Also, we'll be publicising it in Friday Spotlight as well for you to donate donate and share with all your friends and tell everyone about what david is doing and hopefully go out and cheer him along in your own car as well it'd be nice to see a convoy of jaguars accompanying david along his epic route it's like something out of top gear this david i bet you're looking forward to it i've already bought the jeremy clarkson face mask it's going to be it's going to be in the car with me (laughs) blimey that will scare a few people (laughs) (laughs) david all the best of luck uh we hope you raise lots of money we'll help you along on the way here at the jaguar enthusiast club and thanks for coming on the podcast thank you wayne appreciate it you're listening to the jaguar enthusiasts club podcast Tom's Jaguar Racing Diary, sharing the knowledge, drama, and innovation from behind the scenes of the Jaguar Enthusiasts Club Race Championship. So it's a cracking day up at Silverstone, and we are literally just arrived. We left pretty early this morning, um, just over two and a half hours. So it's not a bad run. So we're all here. Um, it looks like a really good turn up for the Jag, so uh, we're racing with the classic touring car. Um, for the first race, um, it is actually a mixed grid, um, which isn't the plan for the rest of the season, but just for this race with Silverstone being such a big event, um, we're merging um, with one of the classic touring car um, groups. I believe we're going off first, so it shouldn't affect us at all. Um, it'll be interesting to see how the, the pace of the Jag um, compares against some of these other cars. So qualifying's at half ten. Um, like I said, good turnout. James Rams here, which is one of our strong competitors against us. Um, 
unfortunately it looks like Collins Philpot um, who is another um, really strong competitor that we, we do have some great battles with as well um, his car's not here unfortunately so um, apparently he's had some mechanical issues last minute which is which is a real shame um, so um, like I said we're qualifying at 10.25 um, it's Matthew's first race as well so he's pretty nervous um, so we've just gone through the final instructions with him and all the driver's briefing notes and uh, yeah we're going to go see what we can do in qualifying I'm just literally jumping in the car now to head up to the assembly area. Um, I've got on it pretty quick just so they've called us, so hopefully we can get out first and get um, some quick lap times in before we get to any traffic. Sometimes with these big events, with a large, um, two big grids on, on the track, it, it can get quite busy in qualifying, so ultimately we want to, to get an advantage where we can and to get out quickly and try and get a lap time in, so that's what we're going to do and we're, I think, third in queue. So looks like we're going to be able to get off the bats pretty quick and see if we can get a quick lap time in. Well that couldn't have gone any better, I've literally just come back in and my dad's shown me the time sheet and we've managed to uh, to top the chart so it's uh, we qualified on pole which was just absolutely brilliant news. Um, car felt absolutely phenomenal, really really smooth and progressive. Um, took a little bit of time to, to, to get the heat into the tyres um, and then towards the end of the session I felt the tyres going off so I think we're going to have to tweak the tyre pressure slightly uh, for the race. Um, and we're also going to just fettle the dampers just ever so slightly. Um, Silverstone is very, very smooth, so I just felt we could stiffen up the damping on the car a little bit. So we're going to do that, but times, it's extremely, extremely close at the front. Um, James is literally behind me and it's within a hundred of a second. So um, it's really, really, really close, um, which is just great. So I think in the, uh, the race, I'm going to have to get a good good start to get away from James because uh, he's, he's a hard man to pass anywhere so we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, Matthew as well, um, he really enjoyed it, he was getting to grips with the car, he's not raced here so um, he got some laps in and I think he fin uh, ended up qualifying um, within, I think it was 24th overall so it was a, it was a great result for his first time out um, and I think he feels a little bit more at ease now he's got some laps under his belt so um, race isn't until one o'clock um, so they'll probably call us about half twelve. Um, like I said, we're going to do a couple little tweaks to the car now. Weather is, is absolutely scorching, so it's pretty hot in the car. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to get some fluids on board and make sure that uh, I don't get dehydrated before the race. And the uh, plan is to try and get off the line before James and uh, see if I can keep him behind me. So, fingers crossed. And that's race one finished with. And, uh, yeah, that was uh, definitely high and low through that. Um, unfortunately, there was a... Uh, um, a red flag on the start line actually of the race so I had an absolute terrible start to be brutally honest James managed to to get in front of me pretty early on and also so did Tom Lempful who was just behind me on the grid just to be honest with you just just wheel spinned off the start and uh, once once you start wheel spinning it, it's amazing um, how quickly you fall back um, with the the supercharged car it is very easy to wheel spin so um, unfortunately when I, we came round to hang a straight we could see the marshals waving the red flags um, so we obviously had to back off and return to the pit lane um, unfortunately when we returned to pit lane I realized that it's actually um, it was actually Matthew in our sister XJR6 car which I'm just absolutely gutted about. Um, it, the, the car actually caught fire. Um, I'm not entirely sure what, what has happened to cause that at the moment, um, which is a little bit worrying, but we will have a look at that later on and find out exactly what went on there. But unfortunately, um, he also sustained a fair amount of damage to the back of the car as well. Um, when they released the pre-83 cars off of the grid, um, unfortunately one of them did 
Um, unfortunately, couldn't see Matthew and crashed into the back. So I'm absolutely gutted for Matthew, um, especially being his first race. Um, the main thing is he's absolutely fine. Um, he's got no injuries at all when he got out of the car. Now they have, they did put the fire out. It didn't burn the car completely. Um, so we're, we're really not sure on the damage, but as most of you are aware, any kind of fire damage is normally pretty severe. So I'm sure it hasn't written the car off, but just fingers crossed it's okay. But the, um, the main thing is he is all okay as well. And so is the other drivers involved. So um, we had to restart the race. Um, they sent us back out and we did a full formation lap and another standing start. So to my benefit, I obviously was able to, to, to have another go at the start um, and I still had a poor start. So not, not a good, uh, good, good way to start my race season with, with my starts. It's definitely something that I'm going to have to have to work on. But yeah, we, we got away. Um, we did drop back. James uh, beat me to the first corner and so did um, Tom. Um, but we, we, we soon made it back up into second um, and I'm really pleased to say that we did actually win the race overall, which I am just absolutely over the moon um, with. The car was absolutely unbe um, unbelievable, to be honest with you. It was it's the best it's been. It really came together. Um, James didn't give me, uh, give me any room. Um, he gave me a hard time the whole race, so I had to stay on my toes. Um, I managed uh, a really, really great move on him um, at the end of hangar straight um, we actually went round the outside and managed to to get him on the brakes coming into the chicane there which was just great i really didn't think i was going to be able to make it but we were able to carry quite a lot more speed than james um, along hangar straight um, and we were able to, to to break late and carry the speed it seems with the, with the saloons they seem to be a bit more stable with the fast flowing corners so i was a bit able to use that for my advantage and uh, and yeah, it was it was pretty hard work to keep him behind me for the rest of the race. So yeah, I'm I'm absolutely over the moon. I'm really relieved. Um, it's such a great race, and I'm, I'm just so pleased that we managed to stay in front. Um, we did actually start catching up with um, with some of the back markers from the pre-83. So that made it a little bit interesting trying to to contend with those and also to keep um, James away because he, he didn't give me a break the whole race. So yeah, I, hopefully uh, you guys seen on on YouTube or on the live stream. Dreams. Um, but yeah, it was it was an absolute great battle. Um, and I've just gutted for Matthew that in his first race it was such a trauma, such a. Um, but that, um, unfortunately, that's racing, I guess. Um, but looking at the um, the rest of the times here. Um, it's surprising how close um, some of the racing was. I mean, we managed to find a little bit of time on um, our qualifying, but not a lot, to be honest with you. So um, I'm guessing that was where we were sort of coming up to traffic. Tom Lempful um, came in third. Um, Mike Seaborn looks like he had a cracking race. I mean, looking at his um, lap times, he's not far off of us at all, which is, is good to know. And uh, Lawrence, I think, uh, with the V12 was then behind him. So, yeah, there was a couple of um, cars that didn't make it. Um, I think Michael... Uh, Holt had a couple of mechanical issues, which were a bit of a shame. Um, but all in all, it was it was such a great race, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm really happy with how the car performed. Um, and uh, I'm just going to pretty much leave it as it is. We're just going to put some fresh fuel in it, give it a bit of a check over. Um, we're going to go see if Matthew's okay. I haven't actually seen him yet, so um, we'll have a bit of a look around the car and and see what the damage is like. I'm just going to give mine a bit of a once over before we go out and race two. Just make sure there's nothing untoward. Um, got the bonnet off, just checking around, see if there's any fluids leaking. So far, it looks absolutely perfect. Um, I am actually going to, um, I've decided I wasn't going to do anything earlier on, but I'm actually going to just give the dampers a little tweak. I'm just going to go up a little bit on the front. Um, I'm going to leave the rear where it is because that feels really good. 
Um, so yeah, that's pretty much all we're gonna do. Just gonna check the tire pressures. Um, I've got 20 liters of fuel that we're just gonna pop in. Um, and that's pretty much all we need. Um, tires still look good. Um, so clean the screen and away we go. Like I said, I'm just fingers crossed I can get a bit of a better start this time. Um, James is a, a bit of a master at the start. So uh, hopefully, uh, uh, like I said, we're starting on poles, so we're starting to the left-hand side of the grid. So I have got to get away in front of him so that I can be the first to the corner. So fingers crossed we can get it right this time, um, but we'll see what we can do. Well, we'll be back at Silverstone next week on the podcast as we find out how Tom got on in race two. That's all for this episode of the Jaguar Enthusiast Club podcast. Don't forget to keep in touch with us here on the JC Podcast via www.jcpodcast.com. And you can get in touch with us very easily by using the voice recorder on there to leave us a message, or you can use the contact form if you prefer to write your messages. Don't forget, you can also join the Jaguar Enthusiast Club online by clicking the Join Today button on the top right-hand corner of the podcast page to enjoy all the benefits, plus the fantastic, glossy, 130-page monthly magazine that's all included in your membership of the worldwide Jaguar family that is the JEC. This is the Jaguar Enthusiasts Club podcast. Subscribe for new episodes at jecpodcast.com.